Charles here this morning to take us through chapter two a little further. If you can welcome him to the front. Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 2. James 2. It's always a joy to get to open the Scriptures with you. Uh, I love teenagers. I'm a kid at heart, if you know me. Uh, Thankful for Gordon for the invite today. Today's special for me because... uh, Number one, my favorite book of the Bible, the book of James. Number two, this is my favorite passage in the book of James. So I feel like uh, uh, this is a joy for me. It's always a joy to to preach the Word, but especially for me because I love this passage. So James chapter 2 is where we're going to be. My one problem today is when Gordon says, I want you to do this passage, he cut the passage in half because you need all of it together to... The unit. So I'm going to steal a little bit of next week's thunder by stealing verse 26. But I'm going to read from the ESV. I'm going to read verses 14 through 20 of chapter 2. Then we're going to jump down to verse 26. James writes, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, So also faith, apart from works, is dead also. Let's open this morning in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning early, tired, but Lord, I pray grateful. You've given us another day. You've given us breath to breathe. You've given us lips to sing. And Lord, I pray at this time, in this moment, as your mouthpiece, that the Word of God will not return void, that it will accomplish its intended purposes, that those who are here who do not know Jesus Christ, that even today would be the day of salvation, and that for those of us who do know Christ, that we may take some inventory, that maybe we need to see what needs to be removed from our life so that we can be a better walking, talking, living example 
of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We love you, and we praise you, and it's in Christ's name. Amen. Let me turn off my ringer to make sure it doesn't ring. Before we can jump into our text, because the text this morning, unfortunately, is debated. There are some people who are going to argue that salvation equals works, that salvation and works equals, uh, faith plus works equals salvation. And I need to make sure that we lay kind of some groundwork before we approach this passage. We need to understand what is the gospel. So let's just talk real quick. Number one, the Bible's very clear that man is sinful, right? Man is inherently sinful. You give evidence to this every day. Even as believers, we give evidence to the, to the sinfulness in our, in our lives. I, uh, you, you don't have to lie about it. Uh, I, I watched it last If you've ever watched a sporting event, right? You, you've seen sin nature show up. I think it was at Draymond Green or somebody got suspended for so many games for punching somebody in a game. I don't know how mad you've got to get to punch somebody to get suspended. Or maybe you're on the basketball court and, uh, and we, we've all seen it, you know, things aren't going your way, it's getting a little bit chippy, so you decide to extend a gracious elbow to someone's, like, stomach, right? Like, you, you know you shouldn't be doing it, but you, you, know, you give, you give uh, uh, testimony to your, your sinfulness every day. Your thought life, your, your actions, the, the way that you're unloving, right? We are all sinful people, so that's not something that I should have to uh, uh, really lay out for you over and over again, because that's something that we know. So we are all sinful, and because we are all sinful, we're all guilty before a holy God. We, we all stand condemned. Remember, God's standard is perfection, it's righteousness, it's not 95% good, it's not 96 it's 100%. And the problem is, is that you and I fail God's perfect righteous standard. And unable to make things right with God on our own, you and I, number two, need to understand that Christ is the one that we need to make us right with God. Christ's substitutionary atonement, that's our big theological word for the day. Christ lived the life that you could not live, died the atoning death, satisfying the wrath of God, which you are incapable of doing, and he rose again three days later, proving himself to be God. You and I needed a mediator. Again, you've been around Christian school long enough to know uh, and understand who Jesus is, and, and you've heard about Jesus, and if you go to church, hopefully they're talking about Jesus. If you go to church and Jesus isn't brought up, find a new church. We are sinful. Christ works on our behalf. And our responsibility, here's where salvation comes in, is by grace through faith. When we say it's by grace, by definition, grace means it's unmerited, it's, it's unearned, there's, there's nothing you can do, we don't deserve it. If, if God were, if Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, and God says, I'm through with you, he had every right to say, you're done, it's over. Right, Because he's perfect, we're not, and he is not obligated to extend grace to us. 
those who are sinful and wicked, those who are guilty, aren't guaranteed grace. There's nothing in us that says, God, you owe us this grace. Oh, no, no. It's the love and kindness of God that extends this grace to us. So when we say salvation's by grace, it means it's, it's unmerited. You can't earn it. And therefore, because you can't earn it, you can't lose it either. So salvation's by grace. Then we say it's through faith. That's believing. By faith, we, we shift weight and we, and we lean into the person and work of Jesus Christ. So salvation's by grace through faith and not by works. You say, well, what are works? Well, works are anything that we do that we think that can add to our salvation. You know, there's people that will say, well, you've got to believe and be baptized. You've got to believe and be a church member. Or you've got to believe and, and do these good works, and then you'll be saved. And, and brothers and sisters, students, I need you to hear me clearly. Any time that you say that you can believe and be baptized, or you say it's faith plus anything else, what you're saying is that Jesus' substitutionary work on the cross is not enough. And that's not the gospel. What Jesus has done for me on the cross is, is, is enough. I don't need to add anything to his work because his perfect, precious blood, he laid down his life for me and it satisfied the wrath of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified, that's a legal term, meaning we've been declared righteous. Therefore, since we as believers have been justified by faith, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You want to have a right relationship with God? Place your faith in Jesus. Galatians 2, the second half of verse 16. No, first half, I'm sorry. Galatians 2, 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. In, that, in other words, you're not made right before God by the things that you do and trying to be a moral person. Why? Because you're sinful and you can't. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's Paul. What did Jesus say? I'm glad you asked. Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. I hope there's a reoccurring theme this morning so far. That salvation is by faith. Salvation is by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are called to not give a half gospel. We are called to call people to repent and believe. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You have to give them the bad news before the good news is going to make any sense. And when we come to faith, 
I need you to follow me now. We've talked about what salvation is. And now that when we come to faith, there is a radical transformation that takes place in the life of a believer. When you come to faith, when you've, placed, when you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, there's a radical transformation that takes place because the Bible says that you were God's enemies and now you're his adopted child. What type of person takes their enemy and says, I want you to live with me? None of us would do that. But God did. He takes his enemies and he adopts them. He takes those who, who hate God and by faith we love God. And so when we come to Christ, there's this radical transformation. Both spiritually, we're, we're outside of Christ and we're in Christ. We're God's enemies and now we are his family. We're his children. But that also means there's a, there's a transformation on the outside. Because when God gets the heart, he gets your works. Inside, that's biblical counseling. That's the desires, the inner man impacts the outer man. So if my desires change, then my outer man changes. Meaning, when you come to Christ, you won't live the way you used to. The cry of the Old Testament is God is, Moses is leading the people. He speaks through Moses and God, Yahweh, says to, says, listen, be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. There's a standard of righteousness now. You're, you're gonna, you're, there's that family resemblance, right? You, I've saved you. Now you're going to look like me. Now, students, whether you like it or not, you're, you're going to look like your parents because there's a family resemblance. And when you come to Christ, there's going to be a, re a resemblance of his life in you. Why? Because you've been fundamentally transformed from the inside out. And his spirit lives in you. I say all that to say this, that our purpose this morning, as we look at our text, is to see what role works plays in the life of a believer. What role does works play in the life of a believer? Now before I jump in, let's just recap real quick. James is the half-brother of Jesus, the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to the, the, the Jewish believers who are being scattered. They're being persecuted at this point. And in verses 2, uh, two through 12, really through 18, he, he talks about the purpose of our trials and that the purpose of our trials is to grow us. You do not, as believers, live in a world where things just happen you don't know why. We may never know, understand why this side of heaven, why things happen, but we do know that theologically that you and I can rest knowing that this has come into my life to grow me spiritually, to strengthen my faith. Trials are God's weight room. We look at verses 19 through 27. He talks about hearing the word and doing the word. In verses 1 through really 13, he talks about the sin of partiality. The, Bible, the world calls that racism. The Bible calls it partiality. You don't, you don't segregate people based on looks and appearance and skin color. No, you treat people equally. And then we really get to the heart right here. The question is in verse 14. And as he goes through this passage, he's going to answer that question repeatedly. 
So let's look at verse 14. The question is this. What good is it, my brothers? He's talking to believers. What profit is it to King James? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, so you stay, if someone says, verse 14, that he has faith but does not have works. In other words, they declare that they're a believer, but there's nothing to show for it. Again, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, what flows from this passage for some, will, they will say is extremely controversial. But brothers and sisters, when you understand it in its proper context, this is not controversial at all. I've said it once, I'll say it again. The saved life is the changed life. Again, verse 14. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If someone says they play for the Yankees but they don't have a jersey, do they really play for the Yankees? Hey, I work at Target. That's cool, but you're in a, tar but you're in a Walmart uniform. No, I clearly work at Target. Clearly you don't. You say, that's a stupid example. No, no one would do that. You're right. But from a biblical standpoint, if you say you're a Christian and there's nothing to back it up works-wise, then we need to ask some real questions in our life. So we ask the question in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can a workless faith save you? And then he gives us his example, verses 15 and 16. You gotta love examples. He says in verse 15: if a brother or sister, if someone who's a Christian is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. There's a family who attends our church occasionally. And I got a text about three in the morning telling me that their house burned down. I was notified from another church member. And when your house burns down, you lose everything, right? Gone. And it says here in verse number 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, they don't have the proper clothing, and they're lacking daily food, right? And they're coming to you for help. Brother, it's cold outside, and I'm hungry. And you, you've got extra clothes, right? You've got some extra food. So these people are in need, and they're coming to you for help. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. In other words, hey, brother, God bless you. You're going to be warm. You're going to have food. Verse 15 16, I'm sorry, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things that are needed for the body. What good is it? In other words, if you say that you're a Christian, so, for example, someone comes to you in need and you can meet the need and you say, man, awesome, and you don't help them with the need, what type of faith is that? 
That's not a consistent Christian life. That's not what we do. In fact, when you go through the Gospels, what, what's, what's one of the most main things about Christ is that when he fundamentally changes us, we go from being very selfish to selfless. We're all about me, 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 me. But when Christ saves it, we're to love others. Be concerned about others. Put others before yourself, as Paul says. So if you say you're a Christian and someone comes to you with help and you can meet the need, but you don't meet the need, he says in verse 16, what good is that? Verse 17. He's going to answer his own question from verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if, again, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? Verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, you're saying, if I don't have works, I'm not saved? James says, we need to throw a red flag out there. As I just stated in our intro, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel. And when you get saved, when you are transformed, when you've been, when you've been born again, John 3... There's a fundamental radical transformation where you will live differently. We call those works. So if you say you're a Christian, but there are no works to show for, then we need to say, hey, not good. It's like a referee in a game. We need to throw a flag. This is, there's some inconsistencies here. We need to look at this. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I can live however I want. No, you can't. Actually, the gospel is quite opposite of that. Jesus says that if you're going to give him your life, you've got to pick up your cross and follow him. It's a death sentence, by the way. You don't get to live however you want. Well, see, I just want to place my faith in Jesus, and I still want to do these sinful things. That's not how that works. The rich young ruler comes down and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And nine out of ten churches, let's be honest, he gets saved. We say, man, this guy, he's saved. Just, just believe. But Jesus shows him the law to expose his heart and says, you love your money too much. And until you're willing to give that away, you can't be saved. Again, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, verses 18 through 20, we get to what's called a straw man argument. You know, you kind of have that fake conversation in your head where you set up an example like you're going to debate someone who doesn't exist. And so that's what he does in verse 18. But the straw man is someone who actually, in real life, we encounter these people all the time. Verse 18, but some will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, you, you say you, you have faith, which is great, but look at me, I'm a good person. I do all these things. Surely God is going to accept me because of all that I do. James responds, verse 18. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You're, you're leaning on your good works to save you. Move away those good works and explain your faith to me. You can't. And James says in verse 18, he says, I will show you my faith. I'll show you my faith 
by my works. You say, what does he mean by that? What does he mean that I will show you my faith by my works? In other words, I will show you why I do what I do. I don't just live as a, a meaningless life with no motivation. No, no. The, the way I live is dictated. It, 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 it motivates me. It, it's the reason for why I do what I do. And when you come to Christ, you'll very much understand as you begin to grow that there's a motivation and reason why you do what you do. Let me give you some illustrations. What does it mean to have your works motivated by faith? I'm sure we've all been in a situation. I was really good at this as a teenager, by the way. We've all been in that situation where we know where a small lie would save us a whole bunch of trouble. Say, so why didn't you lie in that situation? Because it's a sin to lie that wouldn't honor God. I'll tell you exactly where this is. Where I'll show you an, an easy example of this. Some of you, some of you, how many of you, how many of you have your uh, your permit to drive or like your school permit kind of thing, right? So there's a couple of different ways you can do that, right? You can go graciously through Mr. Falk and do driver's ed, right? I'm sure he's got a big enough helmet for all those children he's driving with. Or the other option is 50 hours with an adult. We started this with Caitlin, right? And in being my fault, we kind of dr we drug our feet. You have to have 50 hours. That's the law. And so she had two weeks left before she turned 16. She's at about 31, 32 hours. I've got to get a bunch of hours in if we're going to do this so she can celebrate her 16th birthday. And I had so many people, Christians, tell me, well, just write it down. Just write it. Just, just say you put 50 hours in. I can't do that. The law says 50. She doesn't have 50. But just, no one's going to know. But I'll know and God will know. You say, that's stupid. No, it's not. As Christians, we're bound by the rules. We want to follow Christ. Or why, when you're sinned against, you know, I talk about works being motivated by, by a love for Christ. When you're sinned against, why didn't you retaliate? Dude, if I were you, I'd have punched him in the nose. Well, the Spirit of God helps me control my anger. Hey, you're dating such and such, right? Yeah. Why aren't you pushing it a little farther with her? Well, because Jesus sets the sexual ethic and the dating ethic. It would be wrong for me to try to take advantage and do this and that. Why don't you look at pornography? Why, why, don't, why don't you steal or, or why don't you curse? Why are you, why are you working so hard? 
I love what Paul says in Ephesians when he goes through the, in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through, I think through verse 32. He talks about how we're no longer to walk as the Gentiles do, right? But now we've been saved. And one of the most beautiful pictures of this transformation and he, is he says that those who come to Christ who used to be thieves, right? What do thieves do? They take things for their own pleasure. I don't want to work for it. But when you come to Christ, the thief now works hard with his own hands so that he can give to those who do not have. That's a 180. Why are you staying late to work? Man, we've got this missions project going on, and we want to help these people. Or this family's in trouble, and we're trying to raise a little extra support to help them. That's why I do what I do, because because of Christ in me, and he teaches us to live fundamentally different. Again, verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. For even the demons believe and shudder. King James, they tremble. You believe in God, insert slow clap. Monotheism never saves you. You can believe in one God with all your heart, but it won't save you because faith is through Christ alone. I run into this all the time. We've taken on an active ministry there in Central City High School. I run into it with students all the time. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, this and that. Or, or you run into it with your neighbor. And again, I think I've shared this before. When, when, I, when I told a pastor friend of mine that I was moving to Nebraska, his first question was, why? And it wasn't because of the scenery. I grew up in Iowa. It's a lot of the same stuff. It's because you're heading into difficult territory. Because everybody thinks they're Christian. you got Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic. They all think they're Christians. Because they're, quote-unquote, good people. They go to church, they do moral things, but none of that means you're right with God. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So he says in verse 20 now, again, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Verse 20, but do you want to be shown, you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless now i'm not allowed to touch verses 21 through 25 that's for next week but he's going to give you the the example of rahab the prostitute and father abraham and how their works were consistent with their faith verse 26 verse 20 i'm sorry you're you're a fool You're a fool if you think that head knowledge, again, verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless, that you just believe, but this is, it's not true, genuine faith. The Southern Baptist preacher, Adrian Rogers, some of our teachers will remember him. Adrian Rogers once said this quote, if your faith won't get you to church, I doubt it will get you to heaven. I think he's on to something. If your faith doesn't motivate you to church, to love others, to to live a changed life, we've got a question. Is this real saving faith? 
And my biggest concern, hear me out, my biggest concern for, for students at NC and any Christian school is that you hear about the gospel constantly, but you may fail to internalize the truth of, of what it means and therefore not repent and believe. In other words, the gospel just becomes old news. I go to a Christian school. My family goes to church. I'm good. No, you're not. The only way that we are good with God is if we repent and believe. Let's be honest. In a room of this size, there's people going through the motions. You claim to be a Christian, but the life that you live doesn't match the Christ that you claim to follow. You say you follow Jesus, right? You say you're a Christian, but you're messing around with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You're looking at pornography on your phone or your computer. You, you, you bully people online. You mistreat classmates. You, you lie to your parents like it's second nature. You cheat on your homework. Tell me again how any of that is godly. I'm no fool. I've been in youth ministry too long to watch kids come through a youth program, claim to follow Jesus, and then they continue on and they're getting ready to get married to their same-sex partner. It's easy to go through the motions, to think you're Christian. And they think they're believers. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Students, there has to be your works that match your faith. Your works don't save you, but they're an outflow of your faith. Verse 26 real quick again, then I'll close. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead also. You can't say that you're a Christian if you don't have evidence of it from your life. No one is stressing perfection or stressing direction. I think it was last year. I'll confess my own sin. I'm pretty good about that. Um, if you've seen me at the ball game, I love supporting you guys as, as, as athletes. I, I really do. I love basketball. I think it was last year, some of you might remember, we were, there was a game down at Heartland, uh, and the refs weren't really doing a job that I thought they should have been doing, and pretty much fans on both sides agreed with me. And in my flesh, I began to get a little more vocal than I should have. And in fact, it got to the point where frustrated, and I'm usually pretty cognizant of it, but I was so frustrated that lovingly Mr. Gibb from above is saying, Clint, you need to knock it off, and the ref's telling Andy, hey, your boy over here needs to shut up. And they were right. Because my actions were being inconsistent. And so what did I do that night? One of the signs that you know Christ is that you're convicted. And so I, I, I sent a text to Gibb and to Andy and to the men around me and said, guys, forgive me. As a pastor, as a follower of Christ, there's no way I should be acting that way. 
I say, let me, let me say these things here. There's some questions to consider. If you've got, I don't know what time we've got D groups or E groups or whatever, but here's my first question to you, so don't cut me off here. Look at me right now. Before God Almighty, I know you attend a Christian school. I know you claim to be a moral person. But have you repented of your sins and given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and given your life to Jesus? Everyone, if, I, if I were to ask you, are you a liar? Everybody's hand would go up. Right? What do you call someone who lies? They're a liar. What do you call someone who steals? A thief. Have you ever looked at a uh, a man or a woman or someone from the opposite sex with, with lustful intent. Well, that's adultery. You say, what does that mean? You ever look at pornography? Congratulations, you violated the seventh commandment. So if I were to ask if you're a good person based off those judgments, you'd be like, no, you're not. You're guilty. And the only way that you can be made right, the only way that you can be justified and set free is by turning from your sins and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that if that's you this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, today can be the day of salvation. You can cry out from your seat and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. I want to place my faith in Christ. I don't want to go through the motions anymore. I want to have a genuine relationship with God through Jesus. And if you've got questions afterwards, you can come talk to me. Come talk to your Bible teacher. Come talk to anybody, any of the staff here, right? Because they want you to know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. So let's say you claim to be a believer now, right? Number two, is there evidence? This is coming back to our passage now. Is there evidence in your life that you're a genuine follower of Christ? Someone comes to me and says, I'm a Christian. My first response internally is like, okay, that's great. Prove it. I know too many fake Christians out there. doesn't mean I'm running around trying to find out, you know, exposing people. But the question is, do you... Prove it to me, right? Is there evidence that you've been changed? Let me ask you an honest question. Do you love Jesus? Do you genuinely love the second person of the Trinity who laid down his life for us? Do you love the Bible? Do you love the Word of God? Because a changed heart loves God and he loves his Word. Do you love others? Because when God changes us, He genuinely wants us to be concerned about other people, whether it's our immediate family or extended family, friends or neighbors. And if you say, Pastor Clint, I really don't know. I don't really love Jesus. I don't love God's Word. I don't, really, I don't read my Bible. I'm really, I really live a self-centered life. Then I think this morning you need to do some soul searching. And then finally, let me say this, number three. There are some of you in here who know Jesus. Praise God. By God's grace, he's opened your eyes to the truth. He's given you the gift of repentance and you've believed. But let's be honest, you're struggling with sin like we all do. God calls us to be holy. It needs to be set apart. 
And maybe this morning you say, Pastor Clint, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sinner, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, but I'm doing things that don't line up. My works aren't consistent with my faith. And I'd say, praise God that you can admit that. Now confess it and do what you're supposed to. Get back into the Word. Fall in love with Jesus so you're not falling around with all these false idols. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that if you would take a good long look at your life to see if you've been genuinely born again, and if not, that you'd repent and believe. And that if you do know Christ, that our works would match up with the faith that saves us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to join together to open the scriptures this morning. And I pray that the word of God will not return void. I pray that the Holy Spirit will do the work that only that he can. Save and change. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.